conversation with another pastor and how this pastor gave him, while he was talking about it, the deer in the headlights look, right? And then proceeded to try to fix him and change him and challenge him and rebuke him and manage him and control him. <laughs> Uh, the whole feel of this pastor's ministry to Jared was, I'm better than you. Oh, I, I can fix you, right? And then in the midst of this ministry help that Jared is receiving, I love this and someday I will use this. I hope I have a ministry opportunity to do this. He said, in the midst of this dude talking to him, he said, ah, yeah, that's right. You haven't suffered yet. Spurgeon, in his sermon on Psalm 2518, entitled The Troubled Prayer, said, Ah, says one, I used to laugh at Mrs. So-and-so for being nervous. Now that I feel the torture myself, I am sorry that I was ever hard on her. Ah, says another, I used to think of such and such a person that he must be a fool to always be so gloomy, to always be in such a depressed state of mind, but now I cannot help while sinking into the same desponding frames and oh, how I would to God I'd been more kind to him. Spurgeon concluded that sermon by saying, yes, we should feel more for the prisoner if we knew more about the prison. My spiritual mentor in seminary, Dr. Hannah, you all know him. He said many things I'll never forget. I think I've told you just about all of them. That I always remember one and I pass it on. And I know I may have said this before. I know I've said it to at least a few. Um, one day after the shocking news of another famous pastor wrecking his life, wrecking his marriage, wrecking his ministry, Dr. Hannah, what he used to do in these kind of moments, he never let them go by. He would open up his suitcase and pull out these thought bombs and go, in the class. And here it was. He said, gentlemen, he's about 40 future pastors, 40 future church planners. He says, gentlemen. You are only one circumstance away, one storm away from feeling, thinking, and doing, and experiencing things you never thought you'd be able to. Now, I was young then. I was young in age, and I was young in the experience of myself, and I was thinking, not me. These poor suckers out here, probably one of them, but not me. Now, let's fast forward some years. Let's say to just Tuesday of this week, shall we? And let's recall what was happening at Tuesday this week. What was happening? What was happening all week? What's been happening for two weeks? Rain, right? Okay. Well, I got up for my run, usual morning time, to run with the dog, our dog soldier, except this time he didn't come up and greet me like he usually does. Usually, you know, he's a boxer, so he doesn't he doesn't wag a tail. He wags his whole bottom half of his body, right? So usually he's, that's how I'm greeted every morning. And then I put the thing on and we go. Well, this time he's, he's still laying on the couch that he shouldn't be on. But Nancy's not here because she's sick, so we're not going to tell him that. He's still on the couch. And I thought to myself, did he just look away from me? And then that's when I heard it. I started hearing the sound of dripping, running water. And I heard it splat in various parts of the house because we have a floor, not carpet, but you can hear it splat. And I started counting, and I got to four holes somewhere in the roof where water's running through into the house. And so things are moving around inside my mind and my heart at this point. 
And the dog, though, the dog still hasn't moved. And I, that, that was still on my mind. Like, I, you know, something's just not right there either. And that's when I smelled it. He had peed and pooped. Now, he's a boxer. He's a good-sized dog. He had peed and pooped all over the downstairs. I'm not talking once. I'm not talking twice. I'm not talking three times. I'm not talking four times. I'm talking five, six times. And then I remember, was this little prissy dog, when I took out that night to do his business, when he was supposed to do his business, was it too wet for him to go? And so he decided to go in the house? Oh. Oh, at that point, I was wondering if I could get away with hiding the body. <laughs> right? And then, on top of all that, we have to get going. You know, Nancy's got to go to her work. i got to go to my work. And our 300,000-mile Tahoe didn't work. So... All of this to tell you, I'm here to tell you that I've come a long way since that Dr. Hannah class because I was in no means, in no means shocked at the thoughts and the feelings and the words that came out of my heart that morning, and neither was the dog. <laughs> Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, that that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Brother, I wish I had your voice to preach with. That's a fantastic voice. All right, let's pray. Lord, we, um, we ask that you would give and grant what this passage talks about. Would you give and grant now to all of us here and to those that we love that are not here and to those even that would echo and reverberate through the city because of the good news being heard here and all over your church in Waco. Would you grant many, many deliverances from the dead? We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, our last, this is our last look at depression. This is our last mini-series topic. Uh, first, we saw Elijah's depression, his road to sorrow. Then we saw Elijah's survival of sorrow. Then we saw Paul's depression, which we were in 
uh, this second half of this passage that we're looking at today. This morning, we're going to look at the first half. Then we went into spiritual depression, Psalm 88. And today, we're going to look at comforting the depressed. It's, uh, the big idea is very, very easy to spot in this passage. If you look at verses 3 through 7, the actual word is used 10 times. What's the word? Comfort. Now, the context of the comfort is also easy to spot, so I want you to look at this. Look at verse 4. Who comforts us what? In our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So the context of the comfort here is thunderstorms, not the sunshine. And so I want you to note the all, though, too. Do you see the all? All are storms. Any storm is mentioned here. So this is pretty comprehensive. So if we were to get a list of all the afflictions and all the storms and all the sorrows and all the sufferings that are out there, depression would be on that list. It's included in the all. It's included in the any. And then especially since the one particular highlighted suffering that Paul experiences in this passage is depression. So if you suffer from depression, your depression is included in the all and the any. And so right away... God knows that. Right away, he knows everything about it. And so today, we're going to look at comforting the depressed. We're going to answer this question. How do we help others with depression? How do we comfort others with depression? How do we, be, how do we participate in God doing a work in others with depression? That's the question. Now, the answer is found in verses 3 and 4, so we're going to look at it again. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. I love that. Do you not love that? I mean, Father of mercies. This is not Father of mercy singular. This is Father of mercies plural. This is an endless supply of mercies. And then look at the God of all comfort. All comfort. All comprehensive, complete comfort. The source, if there's any comfort, if you, get, if you get any comfort from the sunshine, it comes from the God of all comfort. If you get any comfort from a recovery dog, it comes from the God of all comfort. If you get any comfort from a loved one who puts their arm around you and hugs you and tells you that they love you, it comes from the God If there's any comfort on this planet, it ultimately comes from God. Period. Whether he mediates it through you or mediates it through a sunshine or mediates it through a dog or mediates it through a hug, it comes from him. Just remember that. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we are able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which our, we ourselves are comforted by God. So what's the answer? How do we help those who are struggling with depression? How do we help loved ones, friends, family, strangers? How do we? Here's the answer. Help others. Help others out of your own experience of sorrow and comfort. You help others out of your own experience of sorrow and comfort. 
Watch how this works. Let's pay attention. This, we're going to see how this works. Look at verse 4. Who comforts us in our affliction. In other words, God comforts us in our storms. He comforts us in our experience of sorrow. So God is comforting. God is moving. God is at work. Where? In your experience of sorrow. Now follow the connection. Why? Why does God comfort us in our sorrows? Why does he comfort us in our experience of sorrow? Now, there are a multitude, a million of reasons why. But he wants you to know at least one. In other words, are we the only ones in view? When he comforts us, are we the only ones in view of the comfort that he gives in our sorrows? Does he only have you in mind? He has you in mind. That's clear. But does he only have you in mind to comfort you in your sorrows? The answer is who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. In other words, what makes someone a comforter? What makes someone a powerful helper? What makes someone so effective? You look at them, they go, they're so effective in ministry. They're so powerful in connecting with people. What makes someone a, comfor a comforter? What makes them a helper? The first part of the answer in this passage is experiencing your own affliction. Experiencing your own sorrow, experiencing your own suffering, experiencing your own pain makes you a comforter, makes you a helper, makes you effective in ministry. Without an experience of sorrow, our help hurts. Ah, that's right. You haven't suffered yet. Without an experience of sorrow, our help harms. Yes, why, why is that the case? I mean, why is it that if we don't have an awareness of our own experience of sorrows and suffering and sadness and pain. Why, why is it that we're lousy at helping people? Why is it that we're ineffective in helping people? You ever wonder that? Why, why is that? When you see someone, you're like, I think I just got sliced and diced. I think I need more help and healing now. Why is that? Old Testament scholar Peter Craigie answers it this way, because without the experience of sorrow, were buoyant in self-sufficiency. In other words, without the experience of suffering in your life, without the experience of sorrow in your life, without the experience of depression in your life, we are floating on self-sufficiency. And our self-sufficiency helps no one. Our strength is weakness. Utter useless weakness that can't help or comfort anyone. When everything falls apart, you know what happens? When everything falls apart in your life, you know what happens? We actually learn to depend on God. Do you know that when our false prophecies and our interpretations of reality and the things that we just catastrophize and try to control with our thoughts and our thinking and control of our kids and 
all the worst nightmare, all that, when all that stuff comes crashing down and when all of our, our own schemes come crashing down and when all of our own resources run out, you know what happens? We learn grace. You know what happens when we're exhausted and we fail and we come to the end of ourselves and we just can't make it happen and we just can't fix the kid. We just can't fix ourselves. We just can't fix a leak. We learn the mysteries of mercy. Abraham, Joseph, David, Elijah, Peter, Paul, and countless Christians throughout the years. You know what? All of them experience, all of them have become these great comforters. All of them have become these powerful people of effective ministry. And you know how they became that way? Through their failures. Through their sorrows, through their suffering, through their weakness. In fact, you go to the Hall of Faith, y'all. You go to the Hall of Faith. Everybody that's listed in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith, you know what the bottom line tagline for all of them is? They, through weakness, became strong. I mean, that's what Paul talks about. He talks about the armor of God. Remember what he says? He says, become strong in the Lord. And so only when our strength becomes finally a weakness, we actually become strong in another. And we learn that. And when we learn that, we become effective and powerful comforters. Some of you have been thinking for a long time. I know you have. I see it in your face. I can hear it in your voice. You're thinking my depression disqualifies me. My depression removes me from life and ministry. My depression hinders me from helping others. And you know what God says in this passage? No, not at all. In fact, your depression qualifies you. Your depression places you in life and in ministry. Your depression shapes you and molds you, enables you, empowers you to help others. The sorrowful have a God-given ministry to help others, according to this passage. That's an incredible call. Help others out of your own experience of sorrow and comfort. Watch how this works, the second part of this. We just looked at sorrow. Let's look at comfort. Here, the last phrase in verse 4, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, what makes someone a comforter, what makes someone a powerful helper, what makes someone effective in ministry, according to this passage, the second part of the answer is experiencing divine comfort. Experiencing concrete comfort in your life. 
It's concrete because it's experienced. In other words, for comfort to be comfort, it has to be experienced. For comfort to be comfort, it has to hit your heart. For comfort to be comfort, it has to be real and personal. This is, a, this is specific concrete comfort that God is actually giving to you and me in affliction and sorrows and pain and depression. In other words, the picture here is phenomenal. It's, it's divine comfort passing into your soul. It's divine comfort passing into your pain. That's the picture here. And when that happens, you become a helper. You become a comforter. You become powerful, effective in ministry. So what's the comfort? What is that divine comfort? Oh, I love how you turn a phrase there, concrete comfort. I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud of that one. You can send emails about that. What is that? What is that grace that hits the heart in this passage? What is this comfort that comes in and passes into your soul and hits your heart in such a way that you feel it deeply? It connects personally. It makes contact with you. It infuses your mind and it works in your thoughts and your feelings and your desires and reshapes and restructures in such a way we call it comfort. It becomes honey in the soul in the midst of great mishaps. What is that? What passes into our soul with renewing, healing, connecting comfort in our sorrow? The answer is found in verse 5. I want you to, do you see the four that begins verse 5? The four, because God's in the grammar. All the apprentices know this. This is a connector word for, this is now giving you, it's going to tell you the answer. Here's the answer. Here's the comfort. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now, a literal translation makes it a little more clear, so I'm going to say it literally. Here it is. So through Christ our comfort abounds. So through Christ our comfort abounds. In other words, the comfort here is Christ-shaped. The comfort here is Christ-sized. It's a Christ-shaped, Christ-sized comfort that fills your heart. Well, what is that? What happens next is absolutely amazing. I've been thinking about this passage and looking at this passage for a long time since we looked at Paul's depression, and it wasn't until about, well, it wasn't until that long, lonely drive while the kids are asleep and I'm driving home in the rain. I mean, soaked to the bone, hypothermia setting in, all four scouts. Jeff Manning talked me into scouts. Rick Jesperson talked me into scouts. I hate them. <laughs> Here's what amazing happens. I want you to notice that our afflictions, do you see our afflictions in three and four? Do you see that? Our afflictions, it's all about our afflictions. Our sorrows, our sufferings, our pain. Put depression in there because it's in the all and it's in the any, right? Notice what happens to them in verse four. They become his afflictions. They have transmuted. They have transformed. 
that the most foundational and fundamental reality of suffering, of your suffering, your depression, your sorrow now is it's not yours. It's his. Oh man, now now some of our like our Christology kind of sinks in. You oh my word, this makes sense. You know, when Jesus, who's God, became a human being, you know, the moment that happened, he said, Your sorrows are now mine. The moment he became a human being, the moment he entered into this world, he took on all the sorrows of the human race, all your depression, all your sicknesses, all your sadness, all your suffering, all your pain. And he says to you, they're suffering. Their sorrows, their depressions is mine. And then when Jesus went to the cross, it was finished. Absolutely finished. Their sorrows, O Lord, their sorrows, O Father, are mine forever. You remember when Jesus showed up to Thomas? We call him Doubting Thomas, right? Poor guy. And he said, hey, look at my nail marks. Look at the scars on my hands. And everybody thinks, because the surface meaning seems to be, oh, okay, he's proving that he rose from the dead. Poor Thomas. Hey, Thomas, come on. Come on up. I don't think that's the meaning. I don't think that's the ultimate meaning of what's happening there. I think he's showing the nails and he's showing the marks because what he's saying to his disciples and what he's saying to you and me, do you see? Your sin is not yours anymore. It's mine. Do you see? Your sorrows and your suffering are not yours anymore. They're mine. Do you see? Your depression. not yours anymore. They're mine. Mine. So I know some of you are thinking, but my brain is broken, you say, and Jesus says to you, your broken brain? It's mine now. Others of you are thinking, well, listen, I'm overwhelmed and I'm lost. I am completely terrorized. I am traumatized. I have every whatever diagnosis you can have. I can't see the way forward. I'm absolutely beleaguered, beguiled, bewildered. I don't even know what's going on with me. I just know that when I get up every morning, I'm crawling over glass. And Jesus says, all that is mine. And others of us are thinking, look, there's no bottom to what I struggle with. You can't get to the bottom of it. Nobody can figure it out. There's no relief. There's, no, there's nothing but darkness. There's nothing but trembling. There's nothing but terror. There's nothing but discouragement. There's nothing but sadness. There's nothing but inferiority. There's nothing but condemnation. There's nothing but accusation. And Jesus says, no, 
It's all mine. All of it. It's mine. Help others out of your own experience of sorrow 